it is a it is a great joy to have Theodore back with us. As many of you know, he was in Cameroon and and uh, got stranded there a little bit and was able to come home on a charter flight with his wife, uh, do his self-quarantine, and uh, be here with us today. And as he prayed in French, it is a reminder that uh, we have friends around the world. Uh, we know that there are those uh, uh, watching uh, this uh, week after week, and uh, it is a it is really a privilege to reconnect with many of our uh, old friends and to make new friends. We know there's people in France and Cameroon and and uh, Romania uh, who have followed uh, our, us on Facebook Live. And uh, to them, we do want to ask God's blessing and we say que Dieu vous bénisse uh, en France et and we pray for you and we know that you pray for us and we are looking for God to continue to use these times in a special way uh, we gathered to pray earlier and, and we recognize this is not what we would desire to do but this is what God has for us and uh, we know that that he is in control and we we take very seriously these times together the preaching of God's word and uh, I appreciate the opportunity to preach uh, we all love to hear John preach and uh, and I'm thankful whenever the opportunity comes where I can open the word of God as the apostle Paul said for the preaching of the cross is to those who perish foolishness but unto us who are saved it is the power of God, and we do expect that God will use his word in a powerful way in your life. It may be to bring comfort. It may be to bring conviction and encouragement. It may be to bring you to that place of salvation in Jesus Christ. Whatever it may be, we pray that God uses his word through his spirit in your life. And uh, to be able to, to stand here today and preach God's word. Uh, it's uh, for me something that never uh, grows old to, to realize that uh, God can use me as the Apostle Paul said. He said this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. And so I'm so, so thankful that God saved me and has allowed me to serve him in ministry. And today, I want to take us to a passage, one of the post-resurrection appearances of Jesus Christ, which is found in John chapter 21. Uh, for many, it's a, it's a very beloved, it's a, it's a tender portrait of uh, an encounter between Jesus and Peter. But it's a story not only about Peter, it's really also a story about us. Because we know we have a Savior who came to seek and to save those who are lost, but we also see in this text today, we find a Savior who seeks his children to bring them home. A Savior who seeks those who have failed him and in Peter's case have denied him. And Jesus seeks Peter and he seeks us. And he brings us to that place of repentance. He brings us to that place of, of, uh, of forgiveness. And he brings us to that place of reconciliation and reestablishment in ministry and serving him. I'd like to read these verses, these well-known verses from John chapter 21, verses 15 to 19. 
We'll look a little bit at the setting after that, the context, uh, the story is uh, familiar to many. But in verse 15 of John chapter 21, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this to him, he said to him, follow me. Last week we celebrated the resurrection of our Savior. Uh, we rejoiced as we remembered once again the, the reality, that historical truth of, of Jesus Christ rising from the grave. And, and we were shouting here, and perhaps you were shouting at home as well, hallelujah, what joy there was in knowing that we have a living Savior. Amen. However, we see in our text today, we see in this uh, encounter of Jesus with his disciples that they did not yet quite understand the implications of the resurrection. Earlier they had been told to go into Galilee where Jesus would meet them and now they're fishing. That was their occupation. They returned to that which they knew. Of course earlier in the Gospels Jesus had told them that they would be fishers of men. And we probably shouldn't be too hard on them. They were still confused about what had taken place. They were uncertain about the future. And they also needed to put food on the table. Now there are those who look at what the disciples are doing at this time in fishing as being unthinkable in light of the resurrection. Either way, this is not the portrait of, of men empowered for mission. This is, a, this is a time, this is a season where these men were waiting. And as a matter of fact, there are some loose ends to tie up. And one of those loose ends, and the one that we see here in this scripture, is the loose ends that Jesus needed to tie up with Peter. I wonder what was going through Peter's mind. He had to know that there would be a reckoning. He had to know that after his denial that Jesus had prophesied, that after Peter's boasting that if everyone left, if everyone fled and denied Jesus Christ, that Peter and him alone, he would remain faithful. Amen. He had to know that he would be meeting Jesus and he would have to reckon with what he had done. 
whenever I read this, my mind goes back to my childhood. And uh, I grew up with uh, a number of brothers. Uh, there were I have five brothers, but most of the time, there were just four of my brothers and myself, all in one bedroom in, in this neighborhood in Feltonville where, where we're meeting today. And uh, we often dreaded my father coming home from work. I'm sure John can remember just as well as I, well maybe he can't remember as well as I can. But we, we do remember that during the day in our disobedience, not listening to our mom, trying to get away with everything we could get away with, my mom had these words that we never forgot. Wait until your father comes home. And those words they, they, they put a tremor in us. They put, they put fear in us. And throughout the day, waiting, waiting, knowing that when our dad came home, there was going to be a reckoning. Now that reckoning was often at the other end of a belt that we, we really needed. But we knew that sooner or later, as we say, we would have to face the music. I don't know what was going through the minds of the other disciples. I think they certainly knew that Peter, who had boasted in front of them, in their presence, would have to settle this with Jesus. And as a child, I remember that when my mom said, wait until your father came home, there was almost a perverse delight if she said that to another one of my brothers. Because we would be thinking, wait till dad comes home. But we really didn't mean wait till dad comes home. What we really meant is <laughs> wait till dad comes home. Because we knew they were going to get it. I don't think the disciples were as carnal and perverse as we were in our, in our youth. And yet, we realized that there had to be this time where Peter who has denied his Savior publicly in the midst of the enemies of Jesus Christ. He was going to meet Jesus here. If you read the rest of the story later on, and I hope you will through, uh, throughout the afternoon in John chapter 21, you know the setting, the story opens with several of the disciples who were back in Galilee. It's the third appearance of Jesus to his disciples we see in verse 14. They were fishermen by trade, but we know that they had fished all night without success. And, and Jesus called to them from the land and told them to throw their net after all night with nothing, to throw their net out on the other side of the boat. And they brought in a great catch of fish, 153 to be exact. And Peter in particular at this time has some lessons to learn. And what he needed to learn, and what it, we believe he learned that day, is that Peter, in spite of his boasting, could not be the man he wants to be, or the man that God wants him to be in his own strength. Peter had to come to the place in his life where he realized that the physical courage that he, he demonstrated, this, this prowess, he was a leader. He showed himself a leader. But he had to realize that the failure came into his life because he was depending on his own strength. 
And it's a lesson that we all must learn if we are to serve God. When you notice the setting, when you go back and read, you'll notice that that Jesus on the beach there prepared a, a charcoal fire. It's interesting to me that John mentions that detail because it was a charcoal fire that Peter had gathered around in chapter 18 of John when he was with his enemies. And it's the only two times in the Bible that this, that this phrase, these words are used. So now we have a charcoal fire made by a friend reminding Peter perhaps that he had warmed himself at the fire a charcoal fire of his enemies. And we see Peter, he must have been a man ravaged by guilt. And yet, and yet there was something going on in his mind when he knew that it was Jesus on the beach. The Bible says he, he, he threw on his garments and he jumped into the water. And so there, there was also a sense of eagerness. Perhaps an eagerness that he knew he had to face Jesus. And he needed and wanted to get it over with. Peter's denial was a significant failure. It's a failure that he had to live with, and he had to live with its consequences. But he did not need to live in perpetual regret and sorrow over his failure. Today, there may be some of you who are living in failure. Oh, it may not be as monumental as Peter's failure. It may not be a, a one-time failure. It may be a pattern of failures which may be considered small in isolation, but together these failures hinder your witness. They stifle your joy, your joy and they gnaw today at your conscience. There may be others listening today who are in a state of confidently living the Christian life, but too confident in their own capacity to live faithfully for Jesus. And it may be today that you are ripe for failure. I want you to think with me today through this event. And I want you to understand that wherever you are in life today, wherever you are in your walk with Jesus Christ today, you do not need to live in failure. Amen. But you do need to reckon with it. Amen. You need to face your failure. The good news is you don't face it alone. You face it as Peter did in the presence of of Jesus Christ. There's a number of observations that uh, I think we can draw from this text to understand that, that this is just not a, a great story about Peter, but it really is a story that includes us. Because I think that every one of us at some time in our lives, if, if we're believers, sometime in our walk with Jesus Christ, when we look at our failures, when we look at our weaknesses, when we look at our sin, we see ourselves in Peter. And today I want God's word to be an encouragement to you, but I also want it, when necessary, to be a rebuke. I want it to be a reminder, and I want it to be an invitation. We find Jesus on the beach when the disciples come with the fish, and he says, come and have breakfast. 
Throughout the Gospels, we see these invitations of Jesus. When Jesus says, come and see, he says, come and learn of me. Over and over again, we find Jesus Christ inviting those around him to come. And he invites you today, just as you are, whatever you've done, he invites you today. And first of all, this morning, there's an observation that I, I, I believe that we see in Peter's life and, and something I, that I've learned, maybe not completely, but I'm still learning. First of all, don't think too highly of yourself in your ability to live the Christian life. That is, don't ever think that you've come to the place where you're mature enough, where you've grown enough, where you're spiritual enough, where you're godly enough, that you can live the Christian life without the gospel at work in you, without the spirit at work in you, transforming your life. The transformation that's begun in you is not complete, and it will not be complete until the day of Jesus Christ. When we're honest about it, there's really no no place for boasting in our lives. When we're honest about what we were, what God saved us from, when we're honest about our own weaknesses, we can stop pretending. We can stop pretending that we are what we are because of what we've accomplished, have what we have, and have accomplished what we've done because of our intelligence, our wisdom, and our strength. And when you read this passage, it might seem harsh that Jesus three times would just dig in with this question. But keep in mind that Peter denied Christ three times and boasted that he would follow Christ to the death. I have no doubt that Peter was sincere. I have no doubt when he boasted in front of those other, other disciples that he really believed what he was saying. And that in all sincerity, it was the desire of his heart to, to follow Jesus if everyone else denied him. The problem was he felt that he could do it on his own. All the gospel accounts repeat the prophecy that Jesus gave of Peter's denial. I'm just going to read one of them. It's in John chapter 13. Verses 36 to 38, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered him, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow me afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, the rooster will not crow till you have denied me three times. Peter had held a privileged position in the inner circle of Jesus Christ. He had been prepared for responsible leadership. Now, he was under a cloud with his fellow disciples. He had denied all connection with Jesus in the presence of the enemy. Now he is called upon to affirm and to reaffirm his love for the Lord in the presence of his friends. 
We see in the text here that three times Jesus asked the question, do you love me? And we'll look at that. John, in the chapters, you read through the chapter, it struck me that, that in describing this event, John always used Simon Peter. Simon Peter over and over again. Jesus only uses the word Simon, son of John. And it may be that that name that Jesus had given to Simon, Peter, which was a rock, that Peter had not lived up to that name that was given to him. And so when Jesus asked that question three times, Simon, do you love me? He first of all said, do you love me more than these? Peter was not willing at this point to make that comparison. He simply affirmed, yes, Lord, I love you. Now, there's a lot of uh, debate and interpretation on what that means. Do you love me more than these? Some have said, do you love me more than, than these men love me? Or do you love me more than you love the nets and the fish and, and your occupation? Or it may simply be, do you love me more than these love me? He had claimed that if everyone forsook him, that he would follow Jesus. So Peter realized he could not make that claim. There will be failure in your life. There has been failure in your life. And whether you have thought or think too highly of yourself with an exalted opinion, or you think too lowly of yourself in not understanding your status as a child of God, secure in Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit, we've all experienced failure. And today you might be trying to live the Christian life in your own strength, and it may be that this time of, of trial, this time of isolation, has brought out in you, has brought out in many of us, the reality of failure in our own life. When we see it in our, our relationships, your failure might be explained by the reality that perhaps you're a Christian in name only. Your failure may be explained by the fact that you're not in fellowship with God and his people, but you're on your own with your own resources. And when we're forced to live according to our own resources, we realize how weak we really are. The question you need to ask today is simply, will you live in the past with regret? Or will you experience forgiveness and reconciliation with rejoicing? That is what Jesus offered Peter that day. But the forgiveness... The forgiveness that Jesus offered demanded also a change of heart and a change of mind and that led to a change of direction in his life. So first of all, don't think too highly of yourself today. And it may be that after all that's gone on in the past weeks, you've come to that place of, of despair. You've come to that place of depression. You've come to that place where you realize how, how, how needy you really are. 
They say today that there's more calls going to the suicide hotlines, there's more phone calls going to uh, domestic uh, abuse hotlines, there's more tension, there's more turmoil in the home, there's more dissatisfaction, there's more violence. And even we as believers can come to that place and need to come to that place where we realize, Lord, I've been busy in so many things, often when we're busy in life and, and day by day just going about our business, and now our business has stopped. Most things have come to a halt, and we stand in the presence of God and before Him, and we ought to be crying out more and more, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need you. I was able to forget about it. I was able to put it out of my mind when I'm going to work every day, working 8 or 10 or 12 hours, when I'm busy with sports and, and going out and going out to restaurants. But now, now, I see how much I need you. Secondly, from this text and from what we see in the life of Peter and the other disciples, you need to follow the real Jesus and not the Jesus of your imagination. We are called to follow Jesus as he is. And yet, often we are trying to conform Jesus to our own idea of, of who he should be. We want to, we often want a Jesus who is easier on us. We want a Jesus who is less demanding. Peter and the other disciples did not want a crucified Lord. They were probably shocked when Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me. They were looking for a kingdom. They wanted an earthly king. They wanted an earthly kingdom. And for centuries, some Christians have tried to bring into existence a kingdom or a Christian country which are not Christ's. They love Jesus, but they love a Jesus that they have created. And Peter's initial relief at meeting Jesus around the fire must have been, question, must have been shaken when Jesus questioned him repeatedly. We see this repetition of the Lord's question, which really gets to the heart of what's going on in this text. And, and some of you may know if you're a Bible student or you've, if you've heard this text taught or preached in the past, you know that there are variations. And so I just want to explain that briefly in the questions that they come. We find that in the text, in the Greek text, there's two different words for love. There's one word that you probably have heard is agape love or coming from the, the Greek uh, agapao. And often that love is presented as, a, as an exalted love, a, a sacrificial love, a, a, a greater love. And then there's another word that's used here. It's the word phileo. It's, it's the word that's actually in the word Philadelphia, which is brotherly love. We're called the city of brotherly love. Of course, uh, those of us who are from Philly often call it the city of brotherly shove, but I think you'll, you, you get the idea. And the word phileo has the idea of brotherly, it's, 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 uh, it's kindness, it's, it's affection, it's tenderness. And, and there is a word play, and we can make too much 
of the wordplay that's that's here in the text. Uh, but we at least ought to know that it is here. So when Jesus asks the question, Peter, do you love me? He uses the word agapao or agape that's often understood and actually in the, in the New International Version uh, is translated, do you truly love me? Which is not really a translation, then it's an interpretation. Do you truly love me? And Peter responds and says, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Peter doesn't use the same word as Jesus. Of course, all this is kind of thrown into a little bit of uh, confusion because they weren't speaking in Greek. They were probably speaking in Aramaic. John writes the gospel in Greek. Jesus then asks again, Peter, do you love me? Again, using that same word, often understood as a, a greater love. And Peter responds with the other word, phileo. Yes, Lord, I, and some would say I have affection for you, but I'm not really ready to claim this, this uh, higher love, this sacri sacrificial love. But in the third instance, Jesus then, or John as he records Jesus, uses the word that Peter had been using. He changes the word. Where Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And it is the word phileo rather than the word agapao. And Peter once again answers, and this time the Bible says he was grieved that he asked him the third time. Certainly it was a reminder of his, uh, of his denial. I don't know that we can settle the debate here today uh, whether or not there is something in the, these words or whether uh, John is also uh, capturing here a tone of voice where after asking Peter twice, do you love me? And Peter affirming his love where Jesus is saying again, Peter, do you love me? Do you really love me? So I want you to be aware of the debate, I think, or the discussion. I think we can make too much of it. But I don't think we should make nothing of it. There perhaps is something there that, that, that captures uh, what was taking place in Peter's profession of love, which Jesus, by the way, accepted as, as, as sincere. But what's most important in this text is Christ's knowledge of your heart and your love even when your actions have denied him. Because the third time when Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? In verse 17, Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Peter did love the Lord. It's possible to love the Lord even when we've failed the Lord. There really was something in his heart that, that Jesus had captured in his life and his ministry. And, and yet, in a moment of weakness, in a moment of self-confidence, that, that self-confidence that, that Peter needed to be ridded of, this assertiveness that he had before the crucifixion. 
Jesus really, Peter really did love Jesus, and more than that he couldn't say. And more than that was not necessary. But he would no longer boast of what he would do or what he, what he would not do in his own strength. Jesus accepted the affirmation and said to him, feed my sheep, tend the flock. As a matter of fact, there's also some other synonyms that are used there that are, that are pairs that, uh, that John uses that essentially say the same thing. Feed my sheep, tend my flock, my lambs. The Lord accepted his declaration of love. Peter is now reestablished. His self-confidence is gone. He was not placed into, in, in a position of exclusive authority over the church as a successor of Jesus. He certainly was not appointed as ruler of the church. As a matter of fact, later on in 1 Peter 5, Peter calls himself, when he writes to the elders, he says, I'm a fellow elder just like you. That's how he understood his position. And yet Jesus used him in a unique role in, the, in founding the churches. And he was the principal spokesman on the day of Pentecost. Jesus not only predicted Peter's fall, but he also predicted his recovery. In Luke he said, when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. His failure and his, his restoration prepared him for ministry to others. There's one thing that we notice in this text by its absence. Peter did not have to ask Jesus if Jesus loved him. Peter never had to say, do you love me, Lord? Peter knew that. And you ought to know that today. You ought to know that this love that, that Christ declared for you, that he demonstrated on the cross, that this love for you is steadfast. And as the Bible says, nothing can separate you from the love of God. And in this passage, we find a Savior. We find a Lord who is, who is compassionate, who pursues His own, who forgives His own, who restores His own. That's exactly what He wants to do in our lives today. It leads me to say this, thirdly. Your failure does not disqualify you from serving the living Christ. Amen. I'm sure we all have regrets. And, and I can't promise you this morning that once restored, you'll no longer have any memory of your failing. I, I can't promise you that there won't be nights when you'll toss or turn when those memories will come, come flooding back and, and perhaps, even though forgiven, bring great sorrow to your life. We should have sorrow when we deny Christ how we live or what we say or don't say but we need by the grace of God to look past the grief and look to grace in a forgiving Savior who restores and refreshes his people whatever mistakes and failures Peter had in his past Jesus was able to restore him to a place of trust now it may take some time 
It might take time to demonstrate the reality of, rep uh, of repentance. And sometimes the place of service might not be the same as before. There are some failures which have greater consequences. Some of our failures, some of our sin, also have legal consequences in our world today. And these do not all evaporate with forgiveness. But this love for Christ, loving him because as John says in one of his epistles, he says, we love him because he first loved us. This love for Christ is indispensable. There can be service, there can be activity for Jesus Christ without love. But if we love him, we will serve him in faithful ministry and our failures will see them as preparing us to minister to others, to understand their, their weaknesses because we're weak, to sympathize with them because we share in the human condition and the frailty of the flesh. Because we have been forgiven to be gracious Amen. and forgive others as well. We don't need to pretend that we're more spiritual than others. That we live on a higher level, and that we are less often tempted, or that we have never failed. I hope uh, none of us as leaders here at Grace Church ever, ever try to give you that impression. Because we recognize how deeply flawed we are as men, and yet as men committed to Jesus Christ and his word. Failure does not disqualify you from living for Christ and serving him. And Peter's love will be seen in the future. It will be made manifest in his care for the Lord's flock. He had claimed that he'd be willing to die if everyone else forsook Jesus Christ. And we will find that in the end, he certainly will give his life for the cause of the gospel and for the cause of Jesus Christ. Fourthly, and I want to close with this, when we come to the end of this passage, Jesus here describes Peter in his old age, Peter in how he would die. It reminds me of a, of a saying of George Whitfield, who is reported to have said, we are immortal until our work is done. Jesus was going to give Peter about another 30 years of ministry here. But he told Peter and he prophesied, just as he had prophesied Peter's denial and restoration. Now Jesus prophesies his death. He says that when you're old, you'll, you, another will dress you. You'll stretch out your arms. And some take that as stretching out his arms and being led away as an old man or, or led away to execution. Others take it as stretching out his arms to be crucified. But one thing was sure, by his death, he will glorify God. And Jesus made this promise to him that Peter would live for many years with the sentence of death on him, yet he accepted the cross of serving Jesus Christ. And one day would be crucified, as far as we know, Peter was crucified during the reign of Emperor Nero in Rome. Tradition tells us, or perhaps legend, that he was 
crucified upside down because of his request. He did not consider himself worthy to be crucified in the same manner of Jesus. That we cannot be certain about. What we can be certain about is that he died as a preacher, a faithful witness to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The shame of Peter's denials were removed by his blood. And he, he, he lived the rest of his life with this knowledge of how he was going to die. And he didn't live it as, as, as if it was a, a threatening sword over the top of his head. But he lived it as a special promise and a word of assurance of God's loving care for him to the very end. And the question for you today and for me is not, are you willing to die for Jesus? I can ask that question, you can answer it, and you can sit in the comfort of wherever you are today and say, oh yes, I'm willing to die, I love Jesus, I'm, I'm willing to die for Jesus. That's not the question. The question for you today is, are you ready to live for Jesus? Yes, yes, there's been failure. It may be a string of failures. It may be that you've been out of fellowship with God and out of fellowship with his people. And yet, the same invitation that Jesus gave to Peter, he gives to you today. He knows, he knows you from the beginning to the end. He, he, he really does have mission for your life. He wants you to be about his business. He wants you to live this life in light of the fact that one day you will die. It may not be as a martyr, but your human earthly existence will come to an end. It might be accidentally from a human perspective. It might be tragic. It might be, uh, it, it might be through sickness. Whatever it may be, there is that recognition that Jesus knows how it all ends. And he closes verse 19. After saying this, he said to Peter, follow me. That's what it comes down to. Follow Jesus. You don't know exactly where it leads every step of your life. This life will continue to be filled with uncertainty. This life will be fraught with danger. We're reminded over and over again that, that we live in, in a world that has been broken by sin. We, we live in a world that has been trampled down through unrighteousness. We live in a world where there's, there's open rebellion against God. This is the world we live in. So we know that the journey will not be easy. But we know at the end, we can glorify God in our death and in our life. Amen. So Jesus asked you today, he's not going to ask you three times maybe, but he has, this is a question for you. Jesus says, do you love me? Do you, do you love me? In Luke chapter 6, Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord? And you don't do what I say. How can you say you love Jesus today? If you're not living a life 
of faithful obedience. If day by day you're not in the battle, in the struggle, if you're not in prayer, if you're not in in the word, if you're not in fellowship with God's people, if you're not seeing the spirit of God working in in your life, is, is it true? I'm not here to question your love for Jesus. Jesus is the one that says, do you love me? And if you respond in the affirmative, follow him. What needs a change in your life in order that you might follow Jesus? Today, do you, do you really need to start at that place at the foot of the cross to become a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ? To come with your sin and place it there and receive that forgiveness? Or as a child of God, you've wandered. You're you're straying a little bit. And Jesus is saying, if you love me, follow me. Come. Come and have breakfast with Jesus today. Father, how grateful we are for your word, which is a sharp two-edged sword that pierces to our innermost being, to our thoughts, to the intents of our heart. Father, we're thankful for your word that brings clarity in the midst of darkness, in the midst of despair, it brings hope. We thank you that your word brings comfort in these difficult hours where people's lives have been changed and arranged in such a way they never imagined, where needs have grown even greater, where there's grief, there's sorrow, there's heartbreak. Father, through all this, through the clouds, may we see Jesus. May we once again affirm our love for him. May each one of your children today, wherever they may be hearing this, simply call out and say, yes, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Father, may we profess our love for you and for your son today. And by your grace, forgiven and restored, may we follow Jesus. For it's in his name we pray. Amen.